Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. How are yes. you going today? Uh, today I am equally happy and equally sad. So two parts happy, two parts sad. Why? <laughs> Why is it two parts? Anyway, uh, that was, uh, it was me that said that, so that's a, a silly question to ask. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Two I parts this, two parts. It could just as equally be one part, one part. Yes. Anyway. Well, anyway. I'm, I'm happy because I've been so blessed. I've had a wonderful year. I finished my studies. Um, I've got a new job next year. I'm moving. Very exciting. And today, our youth group, our Bible study group, is studying um, is celebrating Thanksgiving, and so I'm just which very is by happy. the way, first of all, it's it's actually technically next Thursday because it's always the fourth Thursday of and do you November. know why I'm so thankful because they they made it a week early so I could be here because I leave isn't that amazing the state on Tuesday so they made it special that I could be there and I'm just so blessed so I'm equally happy but also sad this is my last radio show for now here I know um, and very sad to leave but equally we're happy. very sad to be losing you Beck yeah very sad thank to be losing you. you but I'm happy to have an experience that is so sad to lose. If you know what I mean? Like I'm happy to be in a place where I love the people so much that it's actually sad leaving them. So I've been so blessed. Oh, so if, if any of you guys want to say say any farewells or anything, you can text those in to 0491 at any time in the show. If you want to pass on a message to Beck to say fare thee well, uh, she's been with us on the show for five months. It's been awesome to have her. And um, she's had some great insights. She's brought a lot of energy to the radio show. And it's been such a blessing to have you. We're stoked that you've got this new opportunity, but we're bummed to be leaving you. Yeah. Um, losing you. And uh, I suppose you're leaving us, we're losing you. <laughs> but um, man, we've got a great show lined up for you guys today, in spite of the sadness and the goodbyes. Um, but you made it, you, before we get into that, you just made a great point. Like sometimes the, the reality that something is ending gives you a, a, an ability to like recognize how good things were. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting. Sometimes the contrasts in life help to add to the, the, the gravity, so to speak, of, of those things. Yes. The goods become better and maybe even the bads can have better things come out of them because you know what else the good is coming. I don't know if I'm Absolutely. making any sense. Anyway, <laughs> no, we got a great show lined up for you today because we are continuing on with our, well, this is probably our last one unless, unless I decide to do a sneaky part six of David. So today we are going to look at a story that comes much later in David's life one of my favorite stories of the Bible, and that's a story about David when he's king uh, and his interactions with a woman named Bathsheba. It's a, it's a very challenging story. It's a very sad story, but it's a very grace-filled story. So excited yeah. to share that with you today. And also for our testify section today, we're going to do something a little bit different. And so you're going to have to stay tuned if you want to find out about that little secret surprise. So that'll be coming up in a little bit. And um, yeah, it's going to be a great show. Super yeah. stoked. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Again, if you want to text in and say any farewells to Beck, you can do so by texting 0491 This is Frontier Surrender.
Lots of thanksgiving for being the Creator God. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, before we get any further into our show, I just wanted to start early on the invitation to send in any Bible questions that you've got for our Question of the Week session, which we have at the uh, end of the show. And if you have a question about God or about the Bible or about anything to do with those kinds of categories, the meaning of life, I don't know. I don't know if we'll have all the answers, but we will give it a a red hot go. A red hot go (laughs) we will give. um, To try and find an answer from Scripture for you. But today we are doing a giveaway as well, and the book that we are offering today is a free Bible study guide called After God's Heart, which is a study in brokenness from the life of David. And so our first caller in will get a free copy of that Bible study guide, and you can do so by calling in one 800 324-843, that's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text in at 491 that's 491 or you can text us at our Faith FM page on Facebook. All right, so it's that, come that time of the day for what a weird and wonderful world, and I'd love to know what fun facts you have for us on your final show with us, Beck. Well, you might be able to have guessed, but... Our fun facts today come from New Zealand. New Zealand? Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Robbie asks. Robbie knows because I am moving to New Zealand next year. So I was looking up fun oh, facts about I'm New jealous. Zealand. <laughs> and I probably will come back with an accent whenever I come back because I'm a pretty um, empathetic soaker-upper. When people speak, I take on their accents. Yeah, fun fact. Once you move overseas and you live there for a while, you, you are no longer native to anywhere because the people <laughs> that you grew up with think you sound like a foreigner yeah. and the people in the country you moved to th- still think you sound like a foreigner so, so I sound like I am from nowhere and you will soon be joining the club it's Absolutely. good so New Zealand is the first country to see the sunrise which I thought was cool. Samoa is actually the first country to welcome the new day, but because of the curvature of the earth, New Zealand is the first one to actually see the sunrise. Wow that's I cool. That was cool. Yeah. Oh, I love it. New Zealand is one of only two nations in the world with two national anthems. Denmark is the other. Uh, God Save the Queen was the original national anthem of New Zealand, and now they have one variation, but they still keep God Save the Queen in some areas. 
Interesting. They were the first. Yeah, that is interesting because I'm American because I was I just had all these weird thoughts going through my head. Like, what's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean? Oh, what's yes. Sorry, like, yes, British we want God heritage. to save the Queen for yeah. sure. But but I don't know. I've never heard the song before. Yeah. Um, they're the first country to give women the vote. Really? That, that was in 1893. The first country. Wow, they were the first. The first country to give women, women suffrage. The vote. Wow. And also, there was suffrage the first... meaning the right to vote. Yes. By the way, not suffering. Yeah. Different words. Very different words. <laughs> yeah. They were the first country to have their three top positions held by women: prime minister, governor general, and chief justice, as well. Kiwis were the two people who were noted for conquering Mount Everest as well. So oh, either, this is, I know what you're talking than about. The Sherpa, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're talking yeah. to a rock climber here. I'm sorry. But is this tradi- Sir Edmund Hillary? Traditionally expounded to be the one is Sir Edmund Hillary, and he's New Zealand. So, yeah. yeah you know, a fun fact on Everest, one of my favorite stories of mountain climbing is actually old George Mallory. Yeah. And he was a man who went to climb Everest. They actually recently found his body. He climbed he, a long time before Edmund Hillary um, made his first successful attempt years and years and years before. So much older equipment. I don't think they had oxygen, but they only recently, within the last 10 years, discovered his body wow. still frozen yeah. up there. But one of the coolest things about George Mallory was he was asked, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? And his answer was, because it's there. Yeah. I wow. Love it. Isn't that a cool? Super cool. Just it's there and we want to achieve something. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, New Zealand has the longest place name in any English speaking country. It has 40 syllables. I am not pronouncing it. I didn't learn it. Uh, wait, wait, say that again? Go and look it up. So they have the longest name for a place in any English speaking language, like any English speaking country. Their name for this area is the longest. Wow. It's a town. So look it up. It has 40 syllables. I can't say it. I'm looking it up right now <laughs> while you speak. Um, New Zealand has the clearest waters in the world. Actually, the Blue Lake in the Nelson Lakes National Park holds the record for the clearest waters in the world. It has a visibility range of up to 80 meters down in the water, which is amazing. They also have very big insects. They have the largest insect in the world, which is called the weta. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Which is pretty cool. Um, Weta. I think it's called weta. Weta. I'm sorry. The weta. And it has a snail. By the way, can we pause for a moment before we find out about the snail? I'm, I'm looking right now at the name of this place. You've got to look this up. It has got 85 characters in the name. It's... Tamatafakatangi Hanga, and I stopped because yep. I was only one third through it. That's too hard. That is it. <laughs> That's amazing. I want to hear someone pronounce this. I'm, maybe we should look it up and play it on air. Anyway. Absolutely. So, just for the last little few seconds that we have, the snail that they have, the mm, Poeliahanta snail. You're going to be an expert sorry. in this by next year. I'm sorry. It can live up to 20 years, which is amazing. They also have. Hector's dolphins, which are among the smallest dolphins in the world. Um, they're extremely friendly and you can swim with them, which is now what I want to do. Um, they also have the world's only alpine parrot, the Kia, which I thought was pretty cool, an alpine parrot. And so one last thing, they were the first to discover the proton, Sir Ernest Rutherford, and he was sort of considered the father of nuclear physics. So, man, the Kiwis, they have a lot of cool facts, a lot of cool places you want to go and visit. Very cool. This is Fountain View Academy Orchestra and Singers, Champion of Love. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? I want to introduce to you In this 
this corner of the good and the right Stands a champion robed in white His height exceeds the heavens His weight outweighs the world His reach reaches everywhere His age is evermore He is higher than the highest Greater than the great No one will ever take his power away He is mightier than the mightiest He reigns from above champion of love He left his hometown to enter this arena to raise his hands in victory for me An angry crowd crucified this king who wore their crown and they gladly watch their champion going down Oh, but I will never count him out For I'm a witness of the day he rose to retain the title Champion of love He is higher than the highest Greater than the great No one will ever take his power away He is mightier than the he reigns from above, above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. He is higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one will ever take his power away. He is mightier than the he reigns from above He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion The all-time undisputed champion The champion Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just before we get into our Testify segment for today, I wanted to just remind you, if you've got any questions about the Bible, you can send those in. And our first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a Bible study guide called After God's Heart, which is a study in brokenness from the life of David. And you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or texting us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. We would love to hear questions, guys, so ring in. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, Beck wanted to play a song on the last uh, her last day on radio, so we're going to play a little duet here. And uh, we hope that you enjoy it. It's an old hymn called Amazing Grace. And one thing that I really love about this song is that it really relates into the story today that we're going to be talking about how, how great God's grace is that anybody who wants to can come to Jesus. You can bring all your sins before him. You Amen. can lay them down at his feet. He is willing to forgive 
The only sin that Jesus can't forgive is the one that you are not willing to, to give to him to forgive. First uh, John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love that, and we're going to see that in the story of David. But one of the most amazing things to me about the Bible is that as we read through these stories and we see God's grace in action in their lives, yeah. it gives me the assurance that that same God and that same grace can be given to me in my life. And so too can it be given to you and yours. So I, we hope that this song is a blessing to you. I just have to move something. That was really unprofessional, but that's all right. We got, a, we got clicky stuff happening. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Everything's going my way 
But there's a longing in your heart that isn't filled. Jesus can and will fill your life with peace. Never did anyone leave his presence without being changed. For if anyone who's in Christ is a brand new man, so let the light of Jesus shine throughout the land. There may be troubles in your life, my friend. They seem to never end And you searched in many places But never found that peace But I know someone who will give you all The happiness you deserve Surrender your life to Up, right? 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And we just want to do another shameless plug for our question of the week portion. If you've got any questions that you'd like answered about the Bible, about the story that we go through today, about a totally unrelated um, topic to what we go through today, a question about God or or something in, in that vein, we'd love to hear from you. They might be things that you think are just fun facts or things that are very serious, you know, heart heart questions that, that matter to you, uh, we would love to hear from you, and we would love to be able to share with you from the Bible um, some things that will hopefully help you in, in whatever your questions are. Our first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of After God's Heart, which is a study in brokenness from the life of David, and receive that free Bible study guide. So you can do that by calling in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Texting us on 0491-064-669, 0491-064-669, or hitting us up on Facebook, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So we're going to get into our Bible study now. And um, just before we do, there, I just wanted to give a little bit of, oh, maybe not context isn't the right word, but a little bit of a, a disclaimer. Preface. There we go. A preface. Ooh, like in a book. So we've gone through kind of four parts of the life of David, and all of those parts actually have happened before David's inauguration as king. Now, the rest of the book of 1 Samuel follows through, and we start off into 2 Samuel, and we get into David's life. There are a lot of stories that you could read about David's life, about some of his exploits in battle, some of his mighty men, uh, which was his close army of soldiers. Um, There are lots of things that we could talk about we could talk about the stories that happen after the story we're talking about today. There are lots of things. We could probably study David for like six months. Yeah. But because we don't want to do that, we thought we would highlight just some key stories. And so we're taking a big jump from our last um, our last topic, which was David and Jonathan, I believe. And we're now jumping into years later, David has been inaugurated as king. Saul and his family, including Jonathan, have all since died. Um, nothing to do with David's doing. They died in battle. And... Basically, David has been inaugurated as king, he does some things, and we get a good portion into his kingship, and we come to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, which is one of the most profound stories, I think, of grace in the Old Testament, but it's also one of the most, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, pivotal stories about David's life, I guess I should say. And so we're going to look at that now, and uh, we invite you, if you are following along with the Bible, you're welcome to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to start with a word of prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for this opportunity to come together and uh, read your word today. I ask that you speak to us as we read your word and wherever the people are, I ask that you be with them, whether they're driving or just listening to this at home or on repeat somewhere. Um, be with us, fill us with your spirit, we ask and guide our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with Second Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It happened in the spring of that year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. 
and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Whoa, right? Like this is a full-on start to a story. You got six verses or so that we've read. A lot has happened. Uh, what in the world is going on here? Let's do a quick recap. Yeah, so recap is that there's a battle going on. David has sent out his uh, valiant men to fight, except David didn't go out to fight. He remained at home. Okay, point number one, right? Where was David supposed to be? At the battle with his men. He's supposed to be at the battle with his men. Keep that in mind. All right, what else happened? So after that... So it's evening time. He's walking outside. And in those days, uh, people used to uh, have their baths on the top of the roofs often, and they would bathe up there. Um, And David, his palace is higher than other people's houses. He goes out, he looks, he sees a woman. She's on the rooftop. She's on her rooftop. She's bathing or having a bath. Um, And he thinks she's very beautiful. He sees her. And instead of looking away and turning away, he gets his servants uh, to go and find out who it is. Um, She's a wife of Uriah, who is actually one of David's men um, at the battle. And so David sends for her, makes her come to him, and he sleeps with her and impregnates her, basically, uh, sends her back to her house. He didn't know she was pregnant at that time, obviously. And then in the passage of a little bit of time, uh, she finds out that she's pregnant and she sends word and tells David. All right. So there's a lot going on here. And I want to just highlight something here that I think is incredibly important. Sometimes big sins take place in small steps. Sometimes the greatest of falls that can happen in the person's character in their life don't come just all at once, but they come little decision by little decision by little decision by little decision. And then all of a sudden you look back and you go, oh man, I don't know how I got here because you don't see a giant, I just made this one big bold step. And I think it's fascinating to note here that it all starts with the fact that David was the king and where should the king be? In their context when there's war. Yeah, he should be in the battle. He should be at the front of the army, leading the battle. He should be there. And notice that his shirking of his responsibilities is what allowed him to be at home, bored, and led into temptation. Yeah. Right? Like, this is, this is a huge thing for us to take note of. Be responsible. Take responsibility for the things that are entrusted to you. That will help with a lot of issues in life, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and what you're saying, Robbie, really reminds me, you said it's, it's small steps leading into big sins. And I think, yeah, m- many people who've committed great sins don't start off thinking, I'm going to commit a great sin. They just, and we just smart, start, everyone does this. We start with things and you have something and it's a very, it seems like a really small thing. Um, maybe you're just going to press your foot down the pedal a little bit more and speed, like a little bit more than the, than it says, you know, I totally have done that. Um, and so many different things and you don't, you don't plan it. And it really reminds me of, there's this song by Casting Crown called A Slow Fade. Uh, it says, you know, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away and it, it happens slowly over time and that used to always hit me thinking man you know you don't plan on this but it's a slow fade and you slowly do this and you slowly slip and looking at some of the kings of Israel and, and the kings in, in those time when they turned away from God it was a slow fade and it was slowly making a decision and and a small um you know, a small thing where you're like, oh, I'm going to give in this area. Now I'm going to concede in this area. Oh, now I'm going to concede in this area. And it just happens slowly and then it accrues and suddenly it doesn't seem like such a big deal what you're doing anymore. 
Yeah, fully. There's a quote from a book that I love that says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. Wow. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Wow. And it's a really it's a really provocative thought, isn't it? Because it hits right where we're talking about. You know, sometimes we think that, oh man, I'll be able to recognize the devil because the cartoons paint him as having a pitchfork and horns and looking really ugly, but that's not the way that the devil works. The yeah, devil he's works so to much try. Smarter than that. Oh, for sure. He was an angel in heaven living in the very presence of God, and he's been living for thousands of years. Uh, he's practiced at what he's doing. The Bible says he appears as an angel of light in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think that is. Um, it's just really interesting to think about. So David starts here. He's first of all in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then as he's out there looking, he sees this woman, he sees something that tempts him. And like you said before, he, he could have chosen at that point, oh, this is not where I should be, this is not what I should be doing. And he could have stopped right then and there and realized this is, this is clearly not okay, I shouldn't be doing this. But no, he takes the next step, so he sends to inquire about her. He finds out that she's actually married. At this point, he should certainly have said, bump bum, moving on, changing direction. I see clearly this is not in God's will for my life. But then he finds out specifically, it's actually the wife of one of his most trusted soldiers, one of his most faithful men. And he still goes on and does this, this heinous deed. So it's really interesting. But the story doesn't even stop there. So let's keep reading. So she's just said, I am with child. Verse six. Then David, David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the, king's, from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not get, go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Oh, man. Oh, it, makes my, it makes my head, not my head, my heart swell with like emotion just reading this. So, so David then calls and brings back this soldier from the war. So what's he trying to do? He's he, trying to cover up his tracks, right? He doesn't want to own up to the fact that he's done this wrong. He thinks, oh man, she's pregnant. He's been at war. He's going to know it's not his child. This is going to be bad. So I'm yeah. going to try and cover up all my sins and all my issues, not by confessing, owning up, and accepting responsibility. No, no, no. I'm going to try and weasel away to make it look like someone else's so I don't have to deal with the consequences of my actions. This is so relatable, is yeah, it not? Absolutely. And so, so many times we do that in our life. And oh, you see and you're much. like, oh man, you're trying to and you're digging much. you're digging yourself a hole and it's just getting deeper and deeper. And instead of pausing, he's just digging further into the hole here. And here we see that Uriah is such a faithful man and he's like, Man, I can't do this. I can't go in and be be merry when all the men are at war. So he stays at the doorstep, at David's doorstep, and sleeps with the servants. Now think about this. This is a huge rebuke to David. Because David did the exact opposite of this, and he sent all of his soldiers out to risk their lives for the sake of the kingdom, yet he was not willing to go with them, but stays home to relax and be comfortable 
when everyone else is risking their lives for him and his kingdom. Yeah, wow. And so what a slap in the face this is to him. At this point, he should be waking up, but that's not what he does. So check out what he does next. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. All right, so it's, it's so bad that the next step that he does is he says, okay, well, I can't get him to do this thing sober. Let me get him drunk, and then hopefully he'll lose his wits and he'll go do this thing. Well, what we're seeing is a little bit of a pattern. Not only does one step of, uh, of sin lead to the next step of sin, but here's the thing, when we do, and by the way, sin, for those of you that may not be familiar with that word, is another word for evil, wrongdoing, doing something outside the will of God, breaking God's commandments. Those are all ways to describe the word sin. Not only does one sin lead to the next, but also it tends, when we are doing wrong things, we tend to get other people involved in participating in the wrong and so not only is it our own downfall and the downfall of those we hurt, it's also the downfall of people that we pull in to support us in doing wickedness. And also even just the effects of it personally on your life and on your mind and the things that are happening means that even if you're doing a sin, so say people are laundering money and nobody else knows, but you know it's affecting you and your finances and your integrity and, and you and God. And so it's affecting your relationship. And because it's affecting your relationship with God, it then means that you can't relate to other people in the same way. Oh, fully. Because when our, when our relation to God on the vertical plane is broken, our relation to people on the horizontal plane is equally broken. Man, and so so from there he goes, and he can't he can't even get the guy to do the wrong thing drunk. Like what a what an outstanding uh, example of Uriah's integrity. Yeah. And so the opposite that's being demonstrated here is the astounding level to which David's integrity has fallen. Right. This is David who killed Goliath. This is David who stood up and risked his life for the sake of the king who's trying to kill him. This is David who was faithful. This is David who praised God and brought the ark back. This is David. And yet here's David now signing a death sentence for one of his trusted men and encouraging other people to be involved in his death for the sake of covering up his own failings. This is Keith and Kristen Getty, The Perfect Wisdom of Our God. The 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, we've had some questions come in, so we're excited about that for our question of the week. But we would also love to hear some more of your questions. So if you would like to send in a question, you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or texting us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or going to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So we've just finished off with the portion of the story where it says that David has signed Uriah's death sentence. And notice this. Not only did he sign, make a, dec- not a decree, but send a command to his soldiers to say, lead Uriah into the heat of the battle and then walk away from him and abandon him so that he might be killed by the enemy. So notice what David's doing. 
he's he's making other people complicit in his sin. And so now his the, the people in his army who are responsible, Joab specifically, is going to be participating in the death intentionally of this person, the murder of this person. And he's using his high ground as king to do so. You know, it's so immoral because it's not just he's making someone like calling and asking them. He's using his authority as king to make this person do that, uh, which is, I think, to a greater a greater sin. I don't know, but I feel like it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's awful. It's definitely awful. And think about this. Not only that, but imagine Uriah. Here's Uriah. He's been faithful. The king's called him specifically back from battle. He's had this experience. He's waiting to get back to the troops. He's been faithful while he's been there. He's given a, a, a decree from the king or a command from the king, a letter, and he's going to carry that faithfully without opening it, without reading it, to his commander and to take that message. And little does he know he's carrying his own death sentence. Yeah, it's so heavy. Oh, man. Hectic story. And all this time, David is not seeming to be remorseful, but each little step is leading to the next little step, to the next little step, to the next little step. What started off is him going, oh man, I don't want to take responsibility for going out to battle this time. I'm going to let my people do it for me, has now turned into adultery and betrayal and planning murder. Well, he has, yeah. It says some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah, we read, he fell as well. So murder, absolutely. Boom. Yeah. All right, so let's keep reading. Shall we skip down to verse 22? Uh, I think we're at verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall, so that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So I just want to highlight from here the influence of David's leadership on the commander of his army. So he goes into this battle. He makes a poor move, and he knows it by going into a place that he shouldn't have because they had the high ground, they could shoot arrows, he was going to lose a lot of men. It was very unlikely he would win that from that angle. And so he knows this. So notice that when he sends back the message, he says, hey, if the king gets upset about what I did, just tell him, oh, by the way, Uriah's dead. And so what he's doing is he's trying to now cover up his own failings and shortcomings in leadership and avoiding the consequences of his actions by saying, hey, I did your dirty deed, it's covered, don't give me any heat, Yeah. right? Isn't that interesting that David's leadership, as he's setting an example of sinfulness and of saving self by doing wrong towards others, he's now having a negative influence on one of his own generals and how he's now defending himself. Did you notice that? And Isn't I that interesting? I hadn't picked that up. And, and this is something else that I just, I just thought of just then, is that we don't know who else died who needn't have died because they put them at the forefront of the battle on purpose so that Uriah would be close and would fall, which means I wonder if they compromised them on purpose. Other people, there were yeah. other men you didn't probably to hide themselves. They wouldn't just send out Uriah by himself. There would have been other people. So maybe other people fell and were murdered or died because of what happened. And so, yeah, it's just like thinking, man, the the outflow of this is bigger than what we see. Yeah, totally. Now, I want to just say something before we keep reading, and that's this. How are you feeling right now when you think that this man, David, that we're reading about in this story, wrote 70 of the Psalms that we 
cherish in the Bible? Yeah. How are you feeling about the fact that this man has done these things? The one, this is the man that says that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. How is that sitting with you right now? And I think that's an important thing to think about as we read through the story. Don't wait there. Don't stop there because as we come through, we're going to see and understand how that could be the case with somebody who's doing such things and how God plans to redeem him. So let's keep reading. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. So notice David heard what he wanted to hear. You've covered up my my boo-boo. Now I'm going to try and fix my problem in a different way. Heats off you, bro. No problem with the fact that you did a poor move in battle. I'm not going to rebuke you as I normally would because... Now I'm okay with whatever it is because you've covered up my tracks. Yeah, so heavy. Isn't that interesting? When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Oof. I love that it says that specifically, right? Just in case there was any doubt, This thing that David had done displeased God. And I think it's really interesting. The Bible doesn't always say how God feels about a certain action. We see lots of heinous things happen that people did sins, and it doesn't necessarily give us a specific direct, this is how God feels about it. We know, based on his character as outlined in Scripture, how he feels about it. But here it specifically wants to make sure you know, this is not okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really incredible thing to to just take note of. That's how important it was that it needed to be written down that God was not pleased with what was going on, even by his anointed person. So what's going to happen next in the story is the question that's hopefully on your mind, as it is on mine. What's going to happen next? Is David going to get away with this? What's going to happen? He's now taken Bathsheba to be his wife. He's hopefully trying to, like, he's hoping that it'll cover it up, that, oh, she'll come be my wife. But you got to remember it like it takes nine months to to uh, to uh, take to gestate a baby to go from conception to birth. They've had to go long enough. Now you're you're a nurse. How long until people can normally know that they're pregnant? Uh, it doesn't. It depends on if you've had kids as well before. Like uh, you mean other people can tell? Yeah, both. Like yeah, three four months at the most. Yeah. yeah. So like it depends on how slim the person is and different things like yes. that and how they carry. But also, even even so, the servants knew, right? Because David was sending the servants to go and ask who is this wife. She came and then then the the servants say, Oh, like she's pregnant, she's given him word. They know. So people know about this and everybody everybody really in that, that kingdom time, they would have been talking, they would have known of his servants. And so it's going to get out anyway, especially very soon after her time of mourning, then David takes her as his wife. It's quite suspect. You know? And if I remember, I haven't done any study on this in a while, but if I remember correctly, the time of mourning was about a month. So that adds an extra factor of time in there before they could have gotten married. So everybody's going to know when this baby comes out many months premature yeah. is what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. They're going to know something's up. This is fishy. Yeah. 
All right, let's keep reading. How is God going to address David in order to try and redeem him and also to correct him, right? Because Mm -hmm. what he's doing is not okay. God cannot vindicate, or maybe that's not the right word, justify this kind of action. And if you think about it, he's the king, and his example is going to go greater and further and have larger implications for the whole land because people look to him as a role model. Mm -hmm. And so how God deals with him is going to have a great impact on how everyone in the whole nation is going to deal with their morality in the future. Yeah. So chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. And a traveller came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who would come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, because he had no pity. All right, let's pause there just to recap that story really quickly. So this prophet comes into David's court, Nathan the prophet, and he says a little story to David. He said, let me tell you a story. David listens to the story and he says, hey, look, there was this poor dude and he had a little lamb. He only had one and he treated it as his child. And then somebody came who was his neighbor, who was rich. He had heaps of sheep and somebody came to visit him and he wanted to serve him a nice meal. But instead of taking one of his multitude of sheep, he looked at his neighbor who had one sheep and he went across, took it, slaughtered it, fed it to the to this other guy, and now this guy's lost his own sheep. It was stolen from him. And David's response, did you catch what it was? Yeah, he said he shall be put to death. He says, this guy's going to die. Yeah. This is heinous. This is despicable. The injustice. And he will have to, the other guy's going to, he's going to die. He's going to pay back fourfold for his sins, right? Mm. And this is the response that David gives. Now notice what David, sorry, what David is told next. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if there had been too little, I also would have given much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this great deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who also is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Heavy duty, right? So Nathan says, Look, that whole story was about you, bro. 
And this is what God has to say. You're the rich man in the story, and you have killed Uriah, and you have taken his wife. You have despised me. You have broken my commandments. Now think about this. He's committed adultery. And if you read in the Levitical law, the penalty for adultery was actually death. Yeah. Right? The penalty for murder was also death. Mm-hmm. Okay, so think about this. He's, he's really, according to the civil law of the period of time in that context, he was deserving of two death penalties. He's the king. Yeah. Right? And notice this. He's told all of this, and what, what might his response have been? I'm the king. I'm in charge. I make the rules. And he could have gotten rid of Nathan, as many of the later kings would do who were unfaithful to God. But notice what David's response was. Yeah. I have sinned. He takes responsibility. So he's not taking responsibility at the beginning of the story, but now in the face of all of this, he recognizes his guilt and he accepts responsibility for it. And so it really just stands out to me that sometimes had he had Nathan come to him and just told him straight up and said, you've done this and you've sinned, um, David might not have taken the responsibility in the same way, but because it came in a different way and he heard the story, he noticed he's like, this is so wrong. And it was even less of the wrong than what he did. And because of the way that it was, he realized how wrong it was. And in our understanding, sometimes we don't realize our sin and we don't realize how wrong it is until we see another sin or we see something else and we say, that is wrong. And I think sometimes we're so guilty of not thinking our own sin is as wrong as that one because it doesn't make the same difference in our life. Oh, totally. Yeah, I've never thought about that so much in this story, but it's really profound the way that God instructs this prophet to go about talking to David. And it's interesting because God will try many different things to Mm. lead a person to repentance in order to save them. Yes. Right? Sometimes he will be gentle and kind. Sometimes he will be harsh and give these penalties. Why? Because he's, he's going through step by step to try and take whatever method will work to give it the best shot for the redemption of every single soul. This is for him. Be thou my vision.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck, and just want to do one more shameless plug before we finish off our Bible study here, and that's that if uh, you want to send in a question of the week for our question of the week portion, you can do so by calling in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Texting us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or going to our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. I was going to say, we've already got some, and it's so awesome. Thank you guys for sending in your questions. Excellent. If we don't have enough time, we'll have to look at them, some of them next week. So we'll see how we go. Yeah. But keep them coming. We love hearing from you guys. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've just read through... Nathan's conversation with David. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And what I love about this is, first of all, he takes responsibility. He acknowledges his guilt. This is true confession, right? True confession is not, I'm sorry, is not, is not please forgive me. True confession is, I was wrong. Yeah. It's acknowledging your guilt, mm-hmm. recognizing that you are guilty. That's, a, that's really a big part of what confession is. Now, notice that also, who does he say he has sinned against? He says he's sinned against God. And I love this because David recognizes that truly all sin is against God. If I sin against you, Beck, then guess what? I've sinned against God because you belong to God. You are his creature that he has made. And if I sin against you, I'm actually sinning against him. Yeah. All sin that is committed is sin against God. It's, it's breaking his commandment. It's breaking the law of his character of what love is. And injuring the ones that he loves. That's right. And now notice, we're not going to keep reading in this chapter anymore, but notice that there were still consequences, right? He said there would be consequences before David acknowledged his sin. He says, look, the kingdom's basically, you're going to have fighting happening in your kingdom for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's, there's going to be a consequence out of this. Now, that doesn't even need to be arbitrary. Like, 
If you look at David's life and how he raises his children and the example that he set here, he sets himself up for failure. And this happens, and you can read about that, how one of his sons goes and tries to take the kingdom by force, takes his wives, sleeps with them on top of the castle um, as, a, as a statement of defiance of, I am taking over, I am now the new king, and there's this whole rebellion that takes place. There's all of this stuff happens. We also find that even after he's confessed, there's still consequences. This this child, it's not going to make it either. Yeah, and that, that was one of the biggest things that stood out to me, is that because you've confessed and because you've realized that you need forgiveness you can be forgiven but it doesn't mean that aren't still consequences and the things that were maybe going to happen don't still happen um, and that there are still consequences for your actions and i think that's important to recognize it doesn't mean there's always major negative consequences but often there are right like god god is willing to forgive and to save but that doesn't undo the damage that has been done yeah and i think that's important to recognize because sometimes we can find ourselves in this, the, putting ourselves in this position where we think, well, I want to be forgiven and confess only to get rid of the consequences. But that's not true confession either. True confession is recognizing I am guilty and I am sorry for it. Yeah. Not just sorry for the consequences, but sorry for the, the wrongdoing itself. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to shift gears here and we're going to go to Psalm 51. Now Psalm 51 is one of the 70 or so Psalms that David wrote. And I asked before, how comfortable are you with reading through and, and, and being you know, blessed by singing songs like Psalm 23, the, the, the shepherd's psalm, mm-hmm. right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, written by David. All of these psalms that were written by David, and you read this and you ask, how could, man, how could a man like David be after God's own heart? But I want you to notice that Psalm 51, it says it was written to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David writes this song inspired by the Holy Spirit out of this experience. And this is, by the way, this is made public. Notice that it says in the text after he had gone into Bathsheba, there's an acknowledgement of guilt and it's forever contained in holy writ, right, in the scriptures. And this would have been around at that time because it was written to the chief musician in order to sing, to be a blessing to the people. David is acknowledging his guilt before God in this song, and then he spreads it and and acknowledges his guilt before the people. And this is something that's so important, I think, to just note, and it just came to my mind, is that uh, sins that are done in private should be confessed privately, and sins that are done in public or, or, or affecting other people in that way that they can see uh, should be confessed publicly, especially as a leader. So there's also a difference in role and, and respect that what people need to know. And so as his servants knew, as Joab knew, and it was public to them, this needed to be addressed publicly to that's the people. That's a valid point, very valid point. So let's read through some of this. Uh, Do you want to read for us verse 1 through 4? Yeah. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I love this. He says, have mercy upon me, O God. He doesn't say, 
have mercy on me because I deserve it. Have mercy on me because I, I wasn't thinking straight and I should have done this. But I, I, And he doesn't justify himself. He just acknowledges, I need mercy. Yeah. And I, I love it. This is this psalm is a psalm that I've prayed over and, and said to God when I've sinned before. Same. I've definitely gone to this psalm. And it's just a, such a heart cry. And I, I love it where it says, yeah, exactly what you said, Robbie, according to your loving kindness. So have mercy on me according to your kindness and your goodness, not according to my goodness, but according to yours. So the mercy isn't dependent on us and how good we are and how well we follow God. It's dependent on how good God is. And I think that's... a one of the most important things that we could ever realize. I acknowledge my transgressions. Notice he says, my sin is always before me. Mm -hmm. He would never have forgotten this, right? He would always know. Being forgiven didn't take away the knowledge of the sin, but he could be comforted knowing that God's grace was sufficient. Amen. That doesn't mean it's easy. And so if you're going through a time where you've confessed these sins to God because you've done things that have damaged your life and damaged the life of others and you carry that weight, just know that does not mean you are not forgiven. If you have confessed your sins before God, the Bible says he is faithful and just Amen. to forgive you and to cleanse you. Amen. And hold on to that promise. We, we are not to base our experience and understanding of our personal salvation on upon our feelings, mm -mm. but upon the word of God. Amen. And if we have confessed, truly acknowledged our guilt, and we're turning to God from that sin, we can have full confidence. We are forgiven, just as David was forgiven. Let's jump ahead, because we don't have time to read all of it. Let's read verse 7 through 11. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now notice the contrast here between David and Saul, who we've been studying recently. Saul sinned. He was disobedient. He didn't acknowledge his guilt in the same way. He, he was sorry for the consequences, but not for his actions, right? And you've got the Holy Spirit taken from Saul, the Holy Spirit given to David, mm -hmm. and he's anointed king. But notice what he says. He says, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Yeah. I need you. And it's something I find, and this is so comforting for me, is that in verse 10, it says, created me a clean heart. Then he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And often people think, man, if I've come to the truth and if I've sinned and not having knowledge I've sinned, I've done worse and I can't be saved because I knew and I sinned knowing. But here it says, renew a steadfast spirit within me, which means he had God's spirit at one point. And he says, make it new. So make it new again because I had your spirit. I want it back, please. Lord, give me your spirit. And it gives me such hope if I sin and, and turn against God because it says you can put a new spirit in me. You can renew me again. Even when I had your spirit, you can give me a new spirit. I love it. He goes on to say, restore to me the joy of your salvation, meaning he had known salvation before and that joy was lost. He says, bring it back. Amen. And then he goes on and this, you just need to read the psalm, but I love this. He says this in verse 16. He says, You do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This is the lower lights calling you. Lower lights calling you. 
lead you to that promised land. Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? When you strayed from the fold and there's trouble in your soul, can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? When your soul is lost in sin and you're at your journey's end, can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? Calling you, calling you, calling you, calling you. Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? He will take you by the hand, lead you to that promised land. Can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? As you journey day by day, and temptation comes your way, can't you hear the blessed Savior calling you? So now, Liam, our producer, what what time is it? Question of the week. Cool. Hit us with our question. Okie dokie. Are we ready for our first question? Yes. All right. The first question uh, that we've got comes in from a, a lovely guy named Jamie, and he says, is our salvation dependent on our character? And if so, do we need to be made perfect before Jesus returns? Man, this is such... Such a hard question to answer, especially in a short time. And look, I would just say it straight up, I don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. But I'm going to give you some thoughts uh, from the Bible as well and some thoughts that I have. So is our salvation dependent on our character? And if so, do we have to be perfect before Jesus returns? Um, And first up, I want to say, man, looking at the story of David, uh, we can see t- today this story really makes sense to us because, man, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect in his character, but he then accepted responsibility for his sins. And in doing so, he accepted Jesus' perfectness for him. And he he is then going to be saved. We know that David is part of the, the, the patriarchs and he's referred to in the New Testament. And Jesus is called a son of David. 
But taking it further into scripture, we want to look at Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus' disciples come to him and say um, about him being good, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And so Jesus acknowledges that the only one who is really good and the only one who is perfect is God. So I wanted to say that straight up. We are not good and we are not perfect. Philippians 1 verse 6 then says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes and says that God has begun a good work in us, but he's going to continue to complete it until Jesus Christ returns. So I believe it shows us from God's word that he is working in our heart through character and he will continue to do that work in us until he arrives. Something that's really encouraging as well, Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. It's such a comforting verse because it says that as a righteous person we will fall, but it says that they will fall seven times and rise again. Why do they rise again? They get up. They want to make a difference. They ask for forgiveness. They say, Lord, I want to change. They might claim Psalm 51 and say, Lord, do a work in me and change me, change my heart. And so these people, they're falling, they're having problems with the character, but they're being renewed. God continues to do a work in them until he comes back. And so sort of looking at the the end goal of this, uh, we want to try and live in harmony with God. We want to accept Jesus for our sins. But ultimately, it's always Jesus who is the one that needs to take responsibility. We have to lay our burdens on him because it's always been Jesus accepting him in our lives. It was never us in our perfectness, which is why Jesus came because of his character is perfect. Uh, We can't achieve that by ourselves. We need him, which means we need to daily accept him into our lives. So remaining in in a saving relationship with him, it's not you, you believe one time and you accept, but you remain in a saving relationship with him. So you accept him and then daily you accept him and the next day you accept him and ask him into your heart to forgive you for your sins and he will change your character until the day that Jesus returns. I love that. I'm reminded of Galatians 2.20 where it says, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Yeah. And I love that. Awesome. Next question. Great answer. I hope we were able to help Jamie with that one. Um, Our next question comes in from Nigel. And this question is, can a person come to faith in Jesus without God making the first move? Awesome. Great question, Nigel. And I think to answer that question, again, we're, we're limited on time, but hopefully this will help answer your question. There's two passages I'd like to share with you. The first one is from John chapter 6, verse 44. And Jesus says here, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And so what I'd like to highlight out of there is that Jesus said no one would come to him unless they had been drawn by the Father. Mm-hmm. Now, this is interesting because there are other people who are saved. The Bible says that, say, Elijah, for example, goes straight to heaven. He didn't know Jesus by the name that we would know him, but he knew God and God had been drawing him. Otherwise, he could not have been saved yes. in that sense. So to yeah. answer your question, God always makes the first move. The second thing I want to say on that just is Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, which says, 
And this is regarding other people, and I think this relates really well. It says, For since the creation of the world, his, that is God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I like that because that that identifies that this is not just to the people who have been exposed to Jesus's name, right? But this is talking about all men who have ever been created are left without excuse, he says, because they all knew God to some extent. So the Holy Spirit is working on all people at all times. And I hope that that helps to answer that question. But God is always drawing all people to himself and he's making that first move. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, the next question, uh, we'll see how much of it we can get through in this first break. We may need to go into the second break. Uh, it comes in from Peter, and he says, if the, or he asks, rather, if the Decalogue was given to Moses and the Israelites, people a few thousand years before Adam and Eve were created, how did they and their offspring, uh, that is Adam and Eve's offspring, that is, understand what was sin and what was not if they did not, the re- if they did not receive the law to reference? Great question. So if the Ten Commandments were not given explicitly in that form until Sinai to Moses, how did anyone know what was sin and what was not? What's, I'm going to give you a bit of a philosophical answer and throw a couple of verses there, and hopefully this is helpful to you, Peter. It's a great question. Um, it's very clear from Scripture that a knowledge of sin and what the principles of sin were had to be known because it says that sin is the transgression of the law, and it says that in 1 John 3, verse 4. And in Romans 5, it talks about how Adam and Eve had sinned, and specifically it actually is speaking of Adam um, which is interesting because most people would say, well, it was Eve's sin. But it's interesting that the the, the burden then is, is listed as Adam as well. Just interesting to note. But the point is that Jesus sums up the, the, the whole of the Ten Commandments can be summed up into two principles. He says, love for God and love your neighbor as yourself. Like love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this you know, this, I forget what the next part is, but he says that this, this is... The law and the prophets is summed up in that. That's right. Um, oh, we've got like 10 seconds left. But, uh, yeah, give us a little bit more time there, Liam. So, so basically, they had some level of knowledge. What's really interesting to note is there are a couple of stories in Genesis that identify that they did know something of what sin was in line with the principles of love for God first and foremost and love your neighbor as yourself, which is then later expanded expressed explicitly in the Ten Commandments, but that is all contained within those two principles. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, you will not break the first four commandments. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not break any of the last six commandments. You will not dishonor your parents. You will not commit adultery, etc., etc. It also says in these stories that even the pagan kings knew about marital purity when Abraham hid the secret that his, that Sarah was his wife. Even the pagan king Abimelech, I think his name was, says, hey, you were leading me to do some sin if I was going to go into this space and mm-hmm. cast him out of his country. They also offered sacrifices. Moses, in Exodus chapter 16, prior to receiving the Ten Commandments, is teaching them things and talking about Sabbath, etc. Um, so they had a knowledge of the Ten Commandments prior to, and at least if not expressed fully that way, the very principles, it becomes obvious that many of those in story form come out. Uh-huh. So hopefully that's helpful to you. 
Um, because otherwise, if there was no standard that God had given, God could not say that they had truly sinned. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm just thinking that the people there were actually a lot closer to God in time. And Adam and Eve had walked with God. And many of them were, were having this one-on-one communication with people who had walked and been with God. And they knew what it was like to live in a godly, holy, pure way. And so it would have been a lot closer of them to know what the knowledge of what truth is, as opposed to the separateness what the people had later in time. Totally. And it, it even goes back to Cain knowing that he was guilty of murder before God speaks to him about it, right? Like just these these principles are there. Sorry for speaking so quickly. I've just been trying to race the clock. So hopefully that's helpful to you, Peter. And yeah, just to finish up there, I'm thinking of the verse where it says that, that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. So it's not always even a mental knowledge that we need to have. The Holy Spirit will convict us and tell us what is sin. So we don't have to have it written out, but we can know what it is because God is telling us. And so God later then gives even more express detail to us in a fallen state that we would know. So hopefully that's helpful to you. God bless you, Peter. God bless you all. Thank you so much for your questions. We're going to take a short break.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Thank you so much to our callers in. It was such a blessing to have those questions. Man, it was hard to try and answer those things under the pump. Yeah. We got a, we got a comment back that I was in total agreement with um, that came through, and I, I just thought I'd share it with you guys because it was so good. Uh, I don't know if it has a name on here, but thank you to the caller in who shared this. It says, I think because God created Adam and Eve and was responsible for creation that they were born with an innate sense, so to speak, of what is right and what is wrong. They had the spirit of truth within them when they were created, and that all fell apart with the fall of man. Uh, that was totally. from Raphael, so thank you very much. Yeah, Beautiful. thank you. Uh, total agreeance. God created them perfect. They had mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit living within them, and um, they started off knowing those principles innately, and they were expressed in more concrete detail later, I suppose. But yeah. those principles were always there because those two principles are the guiding principles upon which God's government is founded. Yeah. Awesome. Love, love God, love man, mm-hmm. expressed in the Ten Commandments, and go on from there. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's do some application as we're running out of time, and it's our last show with Beck. And uh, what can we draw out of this story of David and Bathsheba? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things to land on, which we'll probably both touch on, is uh, God's forgiveness and God's grace, uh, His mercy because of His goodness and His loving kindness towards us. And we're saved because of him. So David is saved uh, because of God's mercy and and love towards him. And I just, yeah, want to call out to anybody who's struggling. Like we all struggle with sin. And I felt times where, where, where I felt oh, I've done too much. I can't work for God anymore. I can't be forgiven. Uh, but we see these examples in scripture that give us hope because God can forgive us and he does forgive us when we call out to him. And the difference between David and Saul is that David asked for forgiveness and then he went on to continue and work for God and to continue and and try and do the right thing whereas Saul uh, he didn't repent and he he wallowed in his sin and he sort of tried to push it out push it aside and do his own thing the thing is we can never do that enough we can never do our own thing and that will be enough it's always God who is enough for us so claim Jesus uh, if you have sins and things that you're struggling with ask for forgiveness and ask that he will save you from them um, and then go and live your life and live your life following him in grace amen some other lessons that come out of this for me I, I really I think it's important to notice that we said this before but the greatest falls often take place in a series of small te- steps um Things start small, so it's, it's really the small decisions are actually the big decisions. You, your decisions will make your character. And, sorry, you make your decisions and then your decisions make you. Yeah. Right? Like the things that you choose to live out will become who you are. Right? And so we need to think about that in the, in the little decisions to have integrity, to ask for God's wisdom. How can we represent God's character of love here in this place at this time? Yeah. S- moment by moment, decision by decision. Um, something else that really sticks out to me is it's just more in line with what you said. I, sometimes we think that our sins are unforgivable, but the truth is they're not. Here's a man who's a murderer, an adulterer. He's abusing like, like privilege. privilege. You could say that he had committed power rape. There's all sorts of things that are going on in this story that are heinous that in our modern society we would probably look very low upon. And some of us have committed some of those things. And perhaps things that we might deem to be worse. But God is not, sorry, you are not beyond God's reach. I think that's incredibly important for you to know. So wherever you are, whatever you have done, be like David. For he committed great sins, but he took those sins to the right place. He confessed and acknowledged his guilt before God. 
and he was forgiven, and we know that he is saved. It Amen. says in Scripture that he is waiting for salvation to come. So just be encouraged by that. We pray that you would accept right now the grace of Jesus in your life, that you would confess and repent and know that you can be assured of your salvation in Jesus Christ. May God bless you and keep you. And until next time, remember, real faith is, is lived faith. faith.